The information contained in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute investment or financial advice. You should seek tailored advice that is specific to your circumstances before making any investment decision. The Good Investing Podcast connects you with successful investors and business leaders who invest in or are experts in a range of industries, but do it with a difference. These leaders of industry are the best at what they do in their chosen field, but all have one thing in common. They are passionate about doing things the right way. They are not-for-profit pioneers. They are good governance experts. They are social entrepreneurs. They consider financial and social investments thoughtfully for the long term. I think if there is one trend that we see is that there is much more focus on sustainability. There is so much happening in technology, in science. Hello, my name's Nathan Parkin. I'm the Investment Director and Co-Founder of Ethical Partners Funds Management. And today's guest is Maggie Beer. Maggie will already be known to many of you, but I'll give you a quick introduction. Maggie's had a very public and successful career in the food industry for over 40 years. It all started in the Barossa where Maggie and her husband established a farm and vineyard in 1973, which led to the well-known Pheasant Farm Restaurant, which in 1991 won the Remy Martin Cognac Australian Gourmet Traveller Restaurant of the Year Award. Maggie's career now spans farming, food production, as well as television presenting and food writing. Maggie's appearance on the hit ABC program, The Cook and the Chef, cemented her place as one of Australia's most well-known food personalities. Maggie was chosen as a Senior Australian of the Year in 2010, and then the South Australian of the Year in 2011, and was appointed a member of the Order of Australia for her service to tourism and hospitality on Australia Day in 2012. In 2014, Maggie established the Maggie Beer Foundation to improve the food experience for older Australians, particularly those living in aged care homes. And Maggie, I know this is something you're very passionate about, and we'd love to talk about more about that today. And of course, Maggie is a major shareholder a director and the face of Maggie Beer Holdings listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, which produces and distributes many of the brands and products sitting in parties and fridges all around Australia and the world. Uh, I could go on, but I will say thank you, Maggie, for joining us today and welcome to the Ethical Partners Good Investing Podcast. Well, I'm thrilled to be here too, Nathan, to talk to you. Thank you. Um, If we could just start with your upbringing, I've read that you left school early to help your family out in pretty humble beginnings and we're interested in, in how you think your childhood led to your passion for food and particularly a philosophy of, of using what's available seasonally and never wasting anything. Well, I guess you've got, to, you've got to consider the time that was. I mean, I'm 76. So in those days when I was growing up, food was not important to most Australian families, but in our household, food was important every day. And my father was passionate about produce and about not wasting anything, perhaps was, you know, being a sort of post-war baby or war baby. That was the ethos of the time. Leaving school at 14 was because they were manufacturers and lost the business. And when I was offered a scholarship to stay on and go to Fort Street, my parents wouldn't let me because I was just a girl. But I didn't, you know, that was of the times. You have to put the times around that background. 
you know, we, we've also read that you taught yourself a lot of the cooking that you did. And can you just talk us through the how much of that you taught yourself in, in those times? Well, I'm totally self-taught. And I guess the luck of my life is that I was born with this instinct for food that came from my father. And, and it is an instinct. I just know. And our elder daughter inherited that too. It is within many of us. And so totally self-taught. Yeah, you've also said that, you know, one of the strengths of, of your business and I guess your career is that it took 30 years to develop. You know, that process of, of developing something over a long period of time uh, can be a real strength because business and, 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 you know, society moves very quickly these days. Yes. Well, uh, I, I always think that that was that definitely was a strength for us because it was organic growth. And as we learnt more, as the world changed, I was just making the most of every opportunity. And I I was never after fame. I was never after money either. I was always after doing the most for every bit of produce I had to hand. That was my inspiration. And so it means that it is so grounded in reality (laughs) Yeah, I guess um, as something builds over time, your knowledge builds and your passion grows and, you know, I guess that spreads one thing you have done and, and something that seems to drive you is your passion for sharing your knowledge as well. You know, you've written more than 10 books, even through your restaurants and, and other experiences, you seem to be wanting to share that knowledge as well in, in a great way. Well, I love food. I love to share how simple it can be to cook beautifully if you have good produce. And that gives me such pleasure because I know that food can make such a difference to all of our lives, but there isn't quite enough knowledge out there or confidence. And I'm such a chaotic cook. I'm not disciplined about anything very much. And so in our my videos, people can see that and they can think, oh, well, I can do that too. I especially want to share that and want to share my joy in food. I want it to be infectious to them so they will have it too, they being the the wider community. (laughs) I think your style uh, gives us all hope that we can do something fabulous with food. What do you think one of the mistakes is that people make about nutrition? I mean, you're obviously very passionate about that. Your your knowledge is fantastic. What do you think some of the, you know, Australians particularly, what what mistakes do they make when they approach nutrition and, and, and food? Well, I think the biggest mistake that has happened in Australian food is the fear of fat and dairy. And the fear of fat led to low fat in terms of milk and products. And so you took away the satiety, you know, that satiating feel of being full, if you like. And so they put sugar in instead. So there was no pleasure value and lesser nutritional value. And this fear of fat became obsessive. It it ruined our pork industry by taking all the fat out of it. Fat is flavor and good fats are good for you. You know, there was so much that was wrong that led people to processed foods and led people to margarine instead of butter and worried about the cream on the top of the milk. So uh, we had everything homogenized. So yes, fear, fear. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a good one. There seems to be a, a new trend in paleo, keto, fasting, all of these things that come and go. Uh, what's your view around those trends that stay for a short time sometimes? 
Well, for me, I think if we look to the Mediterranean diet, you know, we have something really to work with because it is based in food that is really good for you, but also gives you a great deal of pleasure. Because if you deny yourself continually, I mean, it's fine to sort of go off something for a little while because you think you've had too much of it, sugar particularly. But once you start demonizing food, you have that fear of food. So following a Mediterranean diet is um, and balance and treats and, you know, joy, <laughs> joy of food. That's what it is for me. Yeah, yes. no, that's that's uh, excellent advice, and and you know something you know we can all do is just enjoy food on you know and and not not get too uh, stuck on the on the latest fad, which goes back to that you know you're talking about how things develop over thirty years, a long term view of things you know, and and an unchanging view uh, is sometimes the the best way. I will jump to 2014 and we'll come back to all the things in between in a moment. But you set up the Maggie Beer Foundation then with the express aim of improving nutrition for older Australians, particularly those living in aged care homes. It seems to be a really great intersection of your business interests and knowledge and a social investment. Can you just talk to us about how the foundation investing in that game and that goal, you know, and what you plan to achieve through that and perhaps some of the the things you've already done and the people you've already helped? Well, we set it up in 2014, as you said, and the goal was always that for me, food is the very best lever to improve the quality of life in aged care. It's our greatest opportunity and affordability, but the role of food in aged care is so undervalued and the role that food can give to well-being and positive energy. And it's just like everything that matters in life, food can be an attainable with knowledge and budget. So in the last years, I've done two to three masterclasses a year where I bring 30 cooks and chefs together for two to three days and impart all the knowledge and knowledge of other experts, but inspire them with ideas and give them the kudos for what the job that they are doing that is not considered sexy in any sort of way, and they are not respected either. And so in those years, we've had 350, I checked my numbers, 354 cooks and chefs through the masterclasses that would have influenced 28,000 residents across, this is across Australia, but it's not nearly enough. We've done lots of advocacy. In February, we were asked by the Department of Health to put on a Congress, two-day Congress in Sydney, a year's work to do it, that brought in 120 people and organisations that were part of aged care so we could have a collaborative approach for a way forward. It's been stalled because we're still waiting for the government to release the report that Deloitte assessed us with. But We have done a tremendous amount of advocacy and I've just finished filming 11 segments of very specialised training for cooks and chefs as there is no training that is unique and specialised for one of the hardest jobs in food, none. And so this will be out to 2,500 homes by about October, so huge But there's so much to do. There's so much to do and so much I need to be able to do it. 
So did you expect all that? <laughs> that is absolutely fabulous. What, what a range of numbers there and the people that, that you've already helped and impacted by that. How do, how do the cooks and chefs respond when you do these classes? I imagine it's uh, fabulous. What's so wonderful about, uh, about the ones that we can bring into the masterclasses is that they go back with this knowledge that I respect them so much for the work that they do do and can do. And it gives them a sense of worth because they're paid so little and, as I said, not respected. And we give them ideas and, well, inspiration, but actual knowledge and recipes. They go back to their homes and they either can change the ball game or they get a brick wall and both things happen. So, We've got a lot more work to do. Yep, and, and yes, I know it's a it's a lot of people you've impacted, but there's a lot more that that you could. And your um, energy in doing that is is infectious. And um, we, we wish you all the best with that with that endeavour. It's a it's a fabulous enterprise to be continuing to do um, year in and year out. We might move to your business interests now. As I mentioned before, Maggie's a non executive director of the ASX listed Maggie Beer Holdings. Um, if you think back to 2019, you sold your remaining interests in Maggie Beer Holdings to the listed company of the same name. Yeah, that is a business you've nurtured. It carries your name. Can you talk us through the decision to do that and to sort of separate uh, in a little way your interest and have someone else control in a way that business? It must have been a difficult decision to do that. Nathan, absolutely. Two things. And one was our daughters did not want the business and all our business life, everything had gone into the business. uh, So we had no succession plan. So there had to be a time that we would sell it. And we had to have our chance of our time in the sun because 40 years we have been, uh, well, you know, we've worked really, really hard and loved the journey, don't get me wrong. But there had to come a time that it was okay to be not worried about money anymore. <laughs> but also, the second part is I could not have done this if it wasn't for the fact that Dantel was my CEO. And as CEO and working with me and the team, and the team from production right through the whole of the Maggie Beer products business, the ethos, the philosophy has never altered from day one. It has sustained and continues to be sustained by the loyalty and the feeling that I am still involved. But my belief in Chantel and our management team, knowing that the confidence, it was all about the confidence in them and the place it just continues on and I still feel I own it <laughs> even though Colin and I still talk about Maggie Beer products as ours because it will never, with my name attached to it, I'm very involved in issues of flavour and uniqueness and but it is the trust. It is the trust. Absolutely. And look, we, we meet a lot of management teams and boards in our day-to-day jobs and it does come down to the people. You know, we've absolutely, and we know Chantel and, and some of your board members and yeah, we absolutely agree with that, that you need the right people, the right time and doing the right things, particularly when you're so close and you've, you've been a, such a force in, in establishing and building. And, and also there's a time to, yeah, as you said, recognize 
that you know there needs to be a succession plan and for things to grow and go on and yes. and continue to build and 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 fund all the uh, fantastic work you talked about before you know those things need to happen at some point in time and often a difficult transition i, I know you you have also just bought the hamper emporium and gish australia business which there are some founders in that business as well and i imagine your yes. experience having been through that process will also help them to transition to public company life well, I, I must say, Chantel is the one that will really do that. I guess the influence that I can have is that they could see it worked for us. Therefore, they could see it can work for them too when the abiding philosophy remains and their involvement with the business as well. So, yes, I think that's my influence is my experience that they can see. Absolutely. With respect to the quality of the products, you know, some things you won't be able to do in-house. I know you do a lot of your core products still in-house and you've got control over that as a business. How do you go about relinquishing a little bit of that control to others who might produce your Uh, products bearing your name? I mean, how how does that process go and can you describe? There are are things that were already set up within the business while Colin and I own the business. And that was we had to have some things made by third party when they got too big to be made by us at um, the kitchens here in Tanunda. So those principles have stayed on. And that is the company that manufactures for us has got, it's quite a lot of, of assessing a relationship. And so there has to be a similar ethos within the business that does the co-packing or manufacturing, and I still get to influence the flavour and the uniqueness and quality. And I'll always want to because it is my name, uh, you rightly point out, but it can be done, but it can only be done when it's done with a lot of care and understanding of the business we're working with. I keep on saying we. (laughs) It's it's uh, it's good, and and as shareholders, we like that. We appreciate that, and that that you own the outcomes uh, still is 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 fabulous. In, in a business that you know strives to grow, there are challenges, obviously, around the availability of products. Your philosophy of using what's available through your whole career, and that the pressure for growth in in some ways. How do you balance the sustainability of of having availability of products, seasonal products, and also that need to to continue to grow and innovate. How do you balance those two things in business? I imagine that's a, a tricky balance at times. Yes. Well, there are always ideas of what drives me. I know it drives Chantel. I know it, it as it drove Emily and Amy, who's a hamper company. It's always within limits of thinking Australian. And if ever anything has helped us for the public to think that too, it's COVID. And so there is no limit to the ideas, but not every idea can come to fruition because the idea and the sustainability of an idea could be so fantastic, but the actual cost means that we'll never be able to sell something. I mean, I had this amazing idea how to use the waste of when we made stocks really right from scratch, but a thousand litres at a time. And so I thought we could make a a product out of the vegetables that we used for the stock for the next product. And we did it and it was so successful. It became too expensive to use that idea. So that's one of the balances that happens. But ideas, there's no limit to those. 
Absolutely. I love that idea of using the, the waste out of one product to make another one. Yes. Um, a shame that that didn't work out longer term, but I imagine there's lots of opportunity to, to do that. Well, that's the only reason I went into ice cream so many years ago is because I had the waste of the quince cores. So it's always been there. <laughs> that's fantastic. Do you think business generally can do more of that? Can they, you know, if you think about business more broadly and outside of your, your company? Yes. I think if there is one trend that we we see is that there is much more focus on sustainability. There is so, so much happening in technology, in science, um, and uh, it is the era for understanding that we all need to look at this. I, I think it's incredibly exciting. Oh, 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 we, we would agree. Uh, we think there's tremendous opportunity in running businesses in a more sustainable way. And those companies that are thinking about that deeply today will become the leaders of tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Just turning to business cycles, I th- one of the fascinating things about your career is that you won this great award and, and uh, Australia's Best Restaurant. And then a couple of years later, you <laughs> closed your restaurant, probably at the height of your popularity. Uh, what sort of lessons are there in doing that? Not everyone does that. It's quite unique. <laughs> what did you learn out of that process? Okay. It's very interesting because that wasn't my decision. It was my husband, Colin, coming in and saying it's a restaurant or me because I'm obsessive and a control freak and I love passionately what I was doing, but I was burnt out. And I was burnt out by winning top restaurant in Australia and everyone else's from being a small country restaurant that had a very strong following. All of a sudden, you know, we had helicopters in the ram paddock and it changed. So it totally burnt me out. But my lesson from it was, and we did that with Cook and the Chef. I walked out, I, I pulled the plug and then Simon decided to pull it too. He was going to continue on at one stage by himself. But we did it at the height of our fame before we got tired, before it became a chore, while it was still exciting. So, yes. Um, there are lessons. It won't work for everyone, but it certainly worked for me. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an endearing quality and it, yeah, it, is, it is different. And I imagine it also led to all of the other things. It allowed the time to open up to do all the other things that you now do and have enjoyed since then. Well, absolutely. It took me a year to recover. I was so burnt out. But, you know, Colin always said to me, and I know it's a saying that's bandied around, but it was so true, close a door for others to open and they just flooded in. That's fantastic. Now, I'd just like to shift gears a little bit and and maybe uh, get some of your advice on some other general topics. It, just in terms of leadership, what is a what is something about leadership that you think is is overlooked? Ah, emotional intelligence. I, I think it's absolutely overlooked. I think leadership without emotional intelligence is leadership that can't be inclusive and uh, be the very best. So I think emotional intelligence absolutely is essential. And when thinking about people, when you're hiring people and you've got two people with equal qualifications, how how do you determine which one to hire? There's one thing I believe in is uh, psychology testing that, you know, makes it very clear how someone would uh, approach issues, uh, what their real 
abilities are as opposed to the abilities that they are using. I would go into that. Also, if there's one thing, even with the qualifications, continuous improvement is part of my very being and is so essential to a business life. But there has to be an ability to accept critiquing even from a leadership perspective without it being a quelling issue. So for me, it is how someone accepts, could we have done that better without it being a major insult? So it's those kind of conversations that I would be looking to when I had otherwise equally impressive people. Fantastic. Thank you. And when things haven't gone the way you thought they would, how do you deal with with that, you know, when, when something fails, if something has expectations and, and it doesn't quite get to where you wanted it to, um, have you got any? Uh, well, that's, that's been the hardest thing of my life. If there's one thing that I know is right is when something isn't working, there has to be a fierce conversation and often a parting of the ways and, and quicker rather than allowing it to fester. My fail has been when I have someone not in the mega beer products world, but that has been in the past, way in the past. Someone who is trying very hard is a lovely person, but is not up to the job. And part of living in a country community, it is much harder to break ties. And yet that's been my biggest fail in not being sharp enough (laughs) to make that cut. I learned that in Maggie Beer Products, I learned it a long time ago, but I've not had to worry about any of those things since Chantel. And I approached Chantel. I found Chantel myself. I met her three years before she came to work with Maggie Beer Products. And so, yes, gut is very important to me. <laughs> yeah, look, that, that, that's one of the biggest challenges in, in business and life is recognising when things need to change. Very, very tough, um, I think, for, for everyone. I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> now, just winding down more generally into other questions, when the world opens up again and, and those risks of COVID have gone away, where do you think you'd like to travel once that's possible again? Well, absolutely Italy. Well, Italy or Japan, no, Italy. I, I just long, I really long to get back to Italy. And what are you reading at the moment, Maggie? I'm reading George Saunders and George Saunders' book at the moment on Russian authors and uh, A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. But I'm also reading Julia Baird's Phosphorescence and I'm also just finishing Where the Crawdads Sing. So I read a lot. (laughs) That's that's a um, wide wide array of topics there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. If you had one person who's inspired you the most in your career, who do you think that might be, if there is one? Oh, yes, yes, there are. But if I had to think right back to the very uh, – oh, one is very hard, but Don Dunstan, because he believed in what we were doing, he did so much for South Australia in terms of setting up a centre of excellence in so many ways. We had a shared love of food. Yes, he influenced me greatly on working within our climate. In South Australia, it's a true Mediterranean climate. But then I could go back. 
I could go back to, because the climate has been so important to everything I do with food, there's a book that I read called Art of Living in Australia, written in the late 1800s by Philip Muscat. And he talked then way ahead of his time, like more than 100 years ahead of his time, about working with the climate. And so I think they're my greatest inspirations. Fantastic. All right, as we come towards the, the, the end of, of, of this chat, um, I've got uh, an either-or choice, and you get a one-word answer here. It's, uh, it's an either-or. So lunch Ooh. in Tuscany or dinner in Paris? Oh, yeah, Tuscany, Florence, yeah. All right, this, is a, this is one's a little bit more complicated. I have a cheese board ready to go for my dinner guests, which includes a Rockfoot blue cheese, a crumbly-aged <laughs> cheddar, and a Meredith Dairy goat's cheese. Should I accompany it with a Maggie Beer Tomato Shiraz and Sultana Chutney or a Maggie Beer Quince Paste? Quince Paste makes every cheese better. My friend Will Studd told me that. (laughs) All right. Um, We know you're a great walker. Is it the El Camino Trail in Spain or the Pacific Crest Trail in the US? Well, um, Spain, Spain. The the Camino Trail, although we have uh, walked in, in Japan and loved the Iso Geo Trail, which was amazing too. But no, Spain, Portugal, Spain, yes. Fantastic. And just lastly, at dinner, would you prefer to sit next to Gordon Ramsay or Alan Jacas? Oh, Alan Jacas. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, that comes to the conclusion. Thank you so much, Maggie, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. (laughs) Thank you, Nathan. I've enjoyed it immensely. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Good Investing Podcast. Subscribe to hear future episodes. And for more information about Ethical Partners Funds Management, visit ethicalpartners.com.au.